0: Welcome to the BCP and me, the podcast that explores the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. I my name is Father Tyler Richards, and as usual, I am joined by my co-host, Father Joshua Nelson, as we continue our exploration of the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. Father Joshua, welcome back to our long forsaken podcast. I've been here the whole time. Where have you been? I got raptured, uh, but they sent me back. (laughs) (laughs) He was not expecting that answer, but I was ready for him. This. Um. So we dropped an episode a couple of weeks ago that we recorded. My computer tells me in August of 2022, and then you and I have corresponded briefly across the book of face and text messages and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in all of that time, I don't think either one of us intended to put a, put a bookmark in the BCP and put it back up on the shelf. I mean, I'm still using my BCP. I can't speak for you, but you know, um, I don't think any of us intended to just completely walk away from the podcast. And yet here we are talking about how we walked away from the podcast.
1: What, what Father Tyler is trying to say is, we hear you, we see you, and we know you want to hear from us. And in the words of Sally Field, you like us, you really like <laughs> us. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I, I I can speak for myself and um, say that in August, I um, I started trying to do campus ministry, which ate up some of my time. Most of you know I have a three-year-old and now a one-year-old at home. And being a father is a huge priority in my life. And so uh, that's been something that's taken, necessarily taken, and rightly taken, a lot of my time. My parish is growing. Um, Our ministries here at St. Anne's are expanding. And so I have just been suffering suffering. Uh, a deficit of time uh, because I've had so much going on. I got elected to be deputy to general convention, which has led me to start writing legislation for general convention that I would like to present. I'm working on a book. Um, and so basically, my time just went.
1: And <laughs> so here we are in in February. I don't think any of that sound effect came through. I don't know if we can add it later, but Father Josh or Father Tyler just made raspberries. So, (laughs) Uh, yeah, and and same for me, you know, uh, working on a relationship and um, I uh, was appointed to the bishop nominating committee for the 10th bishop of the Diocese of Southern Ohio. So that has been taken up. Quite a bit of time trying to get that process all started and, and rolling. Um, and uh, since the beginning of the year, I've taken on a third parish. Uh, so I am uh, at St. Peter's in Gow Police, Ohio, and at Grace Church in Pomeroy, Ohio. And there's a little parish just across the river from me, across the Ohio River in West Virginia, at Christ Church in Point Pleasant. Um, and I'm now there two times a month. So, yeah. If, if only we could give up our day jobs.
0: <laughs> hey, the, the vicar of Southern Ohio is with us today. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, expanding ministries all around. Um, we've we've had a little bit of tragedy happen here in, in Fond du Lac. Um, one of the, actually the vicar of... The oldest church in Wisconsin, Holy Apostles in Oneida, suffered a stroke um, some weeks ago. And, um, and our other parish that's in the greater Green Bay areas is, is staffed by part-time clergy. And so some of my responsibilities have, have expanded in that way, too, um, trying to help out where I can with those two parishes. And so just, you know, it's been a real just deficit of time. Um But with careful planning around doctor's appointments for kids and dates, I love how you just threw that out that you're involved in a relationship. Like people aren't (laughs) going to pick up on that. We're going to get nasty letters talking about why don't I have a relationship? Um, Like a water buffalo. Some of you will get that reference. Uh, But with careful planning and (laughs) calendaring moving forward, I think we should be able to make this – a by or an every other week kind of thing again uh, and get back to this. I hope we can. Uh. But in any case, here we are. Um, I did promise one of our listeners a slight explanation of something. Um, a friend of ours who is currently a student at the School of Theology at Swanee experienced something on the mountain called freezing fog. And this is a complete tangent for those of you going, where is he going with this? I know where I'm going, but it has no relevance to what we're talking about today, except I'm offering this up, uh, for, for Ryan, who had asked me about this, but in Appalachia, we have a word for frozen fog, and that is called a poganip. That's all I can tell you is that it's called poganips. We don't call it freezing fog. We just call it pogonips. So, uh, So, Ryan, there's the explanation that you were promised for that strange word I lobbed at you on Facebook and told you that Father Joshua could explain to you. Father Joshua could not explain it to you, and so here I am making restitution for for a strange word that I said on the internet. Offering that up to you as we begin a discussion on the offeratory sentences that occurred. Oh, I see what you did there.
1: Offering up to you. <laughs> uh, uh, feel free to join us in the knee-slapping at home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it says that we're with... The prayer book says that let us with gladness present the offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the Lord. And Father Joshua, you know that part of my charisms is offering dad jokes up to the world. So... <laughs> We're right on target, if you ask me. Yeah. So where
1: are we turning today, Father Tyler?
0: Well, the offertory sentences occur in rite one and rite two of the celebration of the Holy Eucharist. And so for simplicity's sake, we're going to be looking at the offertory sentences that can be found on page 376 in the Book of Common Prayer. For those of you playing along with the home edition, this is the 1979 Book of Common Prayer, according to the use of the Protestant Episcopal Church of the United States of America. Say that ten times fast. I just like to trot that out every once in a while. <laughs> it further works to highlight the the contradiction of me as an Anglo-Catholic who doesn't clutch my pearls as much as I clutch my rosary, praying out of the book that's appointed for the Protestant Episcopal Church. By the way, Father Joshua, Mother Mary says hello. I was at the shrine a couple of days ago. So. Oh, well, hi, Mom. <laughs> so More on that later. <laughs> um, so for those of you asking yourself, but fathers, what is the offertory sentence? It's that little line of scripture that your priest says after the announcements are finished. And that's what it's for, is to tell people when
1: the announcements are over. Right, Father Joshua? Wrong. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, shock and awe to all of you out there. The announcements are not part of the liturgy. (gasps) Uh, They're not written into the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, I've been at parishes where the announcements come before the service begins, where they come at this point after the peace and before the offertory, and some where they come at the very end. Um, It is difficult for priests to do announcements at the beginning of the service because most people don't show up to church until the offertory. Uh, (laughs) That is neither here nor there. Um, This is an ancient practice. Basically, uh, you know, we're going on to the next part of the service. And you may notice that uh, we've kind of backtracked a little. Uh, If you... Line up the order of the mass or your Sunday bulletin next to this podcast. Yeah, the offertory sentences in the Book of Common Prayer are coming after Eucharistic Prayer D, uh, but in the order of the service, we actually happen that actually happens before the Eucharistic prayers. Just right. want to that out there.
0: So the offertory sentence occurring between the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the table. Yes. Um, that have been a part of our liturgy, and when I say our liturgy, I'm talking about churches that follow in the Anglican tradition since the very beginning. Um, In fact, Marion Hatchett, in his commentary on the American Prayer Book, says that um, the offertory sentence found on the top of page 377, that passage from the letter to the Hebrews, um, is original to the 1549 text. Um, and that text reads, But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When Thomas Cranmer was framing his first Book of Common Prayer, um, after after Henry VIII told the Pope, I'm going to take my bucket and spade and go play across the pond, that's not all that he said to the Pope. Um <laughs> For the record, um one of the things that Cranmer puts in is some 20 sentences of scripture that were to be read as people were putting their alms into what was called the poor man's box or the alms or the alms box, uh, work that the church could then take and ostensibly use for good works inside of the community to help feed the hungry, clothe the naked, etc. Um, Thomas imagined some 20 sentences, we've reduced it down to saying at least, or to saying one piece of scripture here. Now it's, it's interesting in the way that the rubric, the offertory sentence puts it. And we're on page 376. Now it says one of the following or some other appropriate sentence of scripture may be used Um so, you have this list of suggestions here, but Father Joshua, what does it mean by some
1: other appropriate sentence of Scripture may be used? That means it doesn't have to be one of these that are given to you. This is for simplicity's sake. Uh, the priest or the, whoever is in charge of the liturgy um, may find some other appropriate Scripture. It, I've heard it said um, with a piece of scripture from the pericope assigned for the um, readings for the day Um, reflecting back on the sermon that was preached or um, you know, draw our attention back to why we are here and what we are focused on today. Um, Marion writes that,
0: um, that the rubric of the present books, present book permits the celebrant to use any sentence of scripture, or none at all mm-hmm. if one is used a sentence from the psalm might be appropriate or one from the lessons of the day or a sentence with seasonal associations so you can have one of these um one of these eight or nine um you can have a piece of the psalm uh you can have something seasonally appropriate Or your priest might
1: throw an audible and not have an offertory sentence at all. And I want to say that this all falls under the context of the offertory. Um, That being the bringing forth of gifts, whether they be monetary or uh, the bread and wine being presented by the congregation and anything else that is meant to be blessed or used in the second part of the service. That all getting set up, the the deacon or the celebrant, if you have a deacon, uh, setting up the table, um, doing the various acts to prepare for the celebration of the Eucharist. Uh, um, Dennis Michno in uh, a priest handbook offers it this way, the offertory. Like the entrance rite, the preparation of the gifts for the great Thanksgiving is another part of the Eucharistic liturgy that can be so crowded with extraneous elements that the action and purpose tend to be lost. Mm -hmm. A profusion of offertory sentences and anthems and hymns and presentation sentences and flag processions, I haven't seen that one yet, and additional intercessions do not in any way clarify what is happening, but rather confuse the right. So we might be good in stepping back a little bit from Cranmer and and simplifying this a bit, but also recognizing one, that the offertory sentence is is setting us up for something. It's filling a space of time and uh, pay attention. If you have a choir or you're singing an offertory hymn or you have an anthem, pay attention to the words of that. Uh, if your priest is good, they've been working with the music director and to select good hymns and, uh, and uh, prepare everything to focus us for what is about to happen.
0: One of, one of the other things that I want to, I want to highlight here is, um, is the Episcopal church's use of scripture. Um, yeah. You know, one of the one of the criticisms, an unfair criticism, I might add, that gets lobbed at the Episcopal Church is that we don't care anything about the Bible. And yet, of, of these sentences that are presented here in the Book of Common Prayer, all but one of them come directly from Scripture. You have a couple that come from the Psalms. You have a few that come from Paul's letters to his churches, one that comes from the Gospel of Matthew, one that comes from... Uh, the Revelation According to John of Patmos, one that comes from the first book of Chronicles, you have all of this scripture that comes directly out, or all of these sentences, I should say, that comes directly out of scripture. And another way that points us back to that idea that the Episcopal Church is balanced on this three-legged stool of scripture, reason, and tradition. Mm-hmm. The offertory sentences is a microcosm of that understanding. And I say that because here's all of this scripture. Here's all of the tradition of having an offertory sentence. And here's the reason behind having an offertory sentence. Marian Hatchett points out that you can actually find it in the last suggested offertory sentence that says, Let us with gladness present the offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the Lord it is reasonable, see what I did there? It is reasonable that we as faithful Christians offer up to God from that which God has given us back to God for use within the church. And it's not just about bread and wine. It's about bread and wine and dollars and cents and checks and credit cards and PayPals and tithes. But on top of all of this, it's not just about the stuff that we're offering up, unless we're willing to say that we ourselves are part of the stuff that are being offered up. A few days ago, I had the opportunity to um, to do a funeral, um, to do a funeral mass according to right one of the Book of Common Prayer, which. Um, is always is always a challenge to to teach your tongues how to do the these and the thines and the thus and whether twos and the wherebys and here untos and all of that but one of the lines that comes out of the right of the prayer to uh the prayer to from holy eucharist right one is this is this great line that I'm turning to right now on um, <laughs> And it, it, you know, this is just an example of of the theology of the offering up, and it says it says that this portion in the in the Eucharistic prayer, and we earnestly desire Thy fatherly goodness to accept this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, whereby we offer and present unto Thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls, and our bodies. And so these offerings that we're bringing up don't just represent stuff. They also represent the stuff of our lives, our labor, our toil, the joys, the sorrows. I think there's so much more going on with these symbols that we present besides just, oh look, here comes the cruet of wine and the patent of bread. There's so much more going on.
1: Yeah, To and to emphasize that, we can point to the Latin. Uh, the Latin that would be used here in the right is ostios, um, which literally means offering or sacrifice. This is also where we get the word host. Now, I don't necessarily mean, you know, you're hosting a dinner party, um, but the piece of bread that is consecrated for us being the body of christ it is known as the host because it is the offering the sacrifice that we are placing upon the table Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, theology aside
0: uh, theology is never aside we know theology is always up for grabs here (laughs) Uh, let's let's crack into some of these um that all basically say the same thing, but the language is worth, is worth diving into in case you haven't heard some of these. One mm-hmm. of the things that I, I find in my own practice, <laughs> and I am guilty of this is that sometimes priests will pick one and just stick with it. And you hear the same offertory sentence over and over again. I am guilty of this. I have two that I, <laughs> that I tend to stick with. Yeah, me too. Uh, but uh, the first one is comes from Psalm 50. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and make good your vows to the Most High. So that talks about, again, bringing forward your sacrifice, but also promising to do the things that you've told God that you're going to do. Which... One could almost say ties us back into, I don't know, our baptismal covenant where we make promises to do certain
1: things as Christians of an episcopal persuasion. Um yeah. you mean you're not we're not just supposed to think about our baptismal promises uh whenever there's a baptism or those four times of the year that we're supposed to say them on Sunday? Well, thoughts and prayers, Father Joshua. Uh,
0: but in any case, there's actually a practical part of our lives. We talk, about, we talk about this podcast being an exploration of the Book of Common Prayer as a manual for living out our lives. And the liturgy itself is instructing us how to do that, even in the way that we bring forth offerings, um, reminding us that, that we're offering our thanksgiving to God among everything else that we're offering to God, but also living into those things that
1: we have promised to do. And, and again, going to foreign languages, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We offer to God an ostias or a holocaust, really, um, being a burnt sacrifice of Eucharista or uh, of Eucharist. Eucharistia, yeah. Eucharistia, yeah.
0: Do you want to do you want to dis? Disemb- do you want to make the term how you used holocaust right there a little, a little,
1: a less? little more clear? Um, <laughs>
0: Because you yes. can't figure out the word Holocaust on a Christian podcast without, like, expanding on that a little bit. Like, we're going to get yes. letters about that, too.
1: Yeah, so the word Holocaust literally meaning the burnt offering, the burnt sacrifice that is offered on the altar of God. That is a Holocaust when it is burnt up. Um, it definitely makes us once you know that looking back at the world at back at world history um and the age of the holocaust as we call it uh the slaughtering of millions and millions of jews and um queer people and gypsies and um So uh, those who are disabled, so many others. Even Christian Uh, martyrs. Even Christian martyrs. Martyrs. Uh, Bonhoeffer. But when you think of that as the Holocaust is a burnt offering, and if you ever had a chance to visit the Holocaust Museum in D.C. and you see the reconstruction of gas chambers and the the ovens that were used to burn up the victims, uh, when you enter the Holocaust Museum, the words for Holocaust are written on the wall as you first enter in DC and they're burned into the wall. Um, So yeah, just, just take that uh, a little bit. When we are offering our, our praise and thanksgiving, we're also offering ourselves, our souls, our bodies, um, everything up to God. This is not for the weak hearted.
0: Well, and I, I think it I think it, it goes to show um one, the way that we use language and the intentionality with which we engage with language, um holocaustus being that word that we use to describe what happened to the Jewish people whose lives were taken away from them because they were Jewish. Yeah. And 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 Hitler and Mussolini and all of the other people that were complicit in the attempted extermination of the Jews, um, that their bodies were all bodies were sent up, burned. Um, I, I think is is something that we have to never lose sight of, despite what QAnon, despite what all of all of the crazy Holocaust deniers will tell you, the Holocaust is a real thing. But also understanding that it. That word is originally going back to when sacrifice was being offered in the temple, being burned mm-hmm. on the altar. I think there is an attempt inside of that in, in trying to use the word Holocaust to describe what happened to the Jewish people as as um, as an attempt to, to say that these people were persecuted for who they were, that they had this deep faith and that they were the chosen people of God. And they suffered for that. And it's not just as a sign of weakness, but also as a sign of strength that they were willing to die as Jewish people. That they were willing to offer their lives up and not deny the fact that they were these sisters and brothers of ours who also had a belief in God. Um, and, and they went to their deaths over that. It's not it's not too far of a stretch to say that those people were martyred for their faith. Um yes if we can take a Christian term and then apply it to something that happened inside of the Jewish faith. Um, So that brief disambiguation having done. Um, The next offertory sentence we come to also comes from the psalm. Ascribe to the Lord the honor, do His name, bring offerings, and come into His courts. And this is one of mine. (laughs) Mine too. It, It tends to be... The one that I use less, but um, just remembering that what we're doing here is an act of praise, and it's it's not just functionality. Like we're actually,
1: even this action is an act of praise inside of the liturgy. And if you go back and listen to the podcast on the episode on the Eucharistic prayers, um, we talk about how it is in. This portion in the liturgy of the table, there are so many parts that it is like the, the Sanctus and the um, Epiclesis where heaven and earth meet in the span of all time and space that we are literally walking into the courts of God.
0: Um the next one is my go-to. It is the one that I always use. Like mine too. <laughs> Weeks out of the year, it seems like. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God. If we're not walking in love as Christians, good grief, what are we doing? And if we're not walking in a love that demonstrates the kind of love that Christ has for us, and that he was willing to offer himself up for us, then what are we doing? Um, Mm -hmm. Father
1: Joshua, I know you've got some more thoughts about that, but... Well, my thoughts have, have turned to the next one, um, which is one of my favorites, but I never use it because I can't remember it when I get to the end of announcements. Oh. <laughs> but this, uh, this is from uh, the letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And that's something that doesn't just happen at this moment, but happens when we leave the church, when we go to work, when we leave work, when we're at home with our families. We should always be offering um, ourselves as living sacrifices.
0: Have we engaged with with the word sacrifice? Have we talked about
1: Have we talked about the whole meaning of the word sacrifice? The English word sacrifice, No, we have it, so please, Father Tyler, go ahead.
0: So, sacrifice comes from the Latin sacrificium, um, which is actually an amalgamation of two words. um, Sacre, um, well, actually, sacre Sacre. was the first word, and then which became sacrificius, which is sacrificial, um, which gets translated into the word sacrifice. And when we talk about being a living sacrifice, um, we're not necessarily talking about blood sacrifice like um, often gets often gets, when we think about sacrifice it being a blood sacrifice. We think about ourselves as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that is being handed over to God for God to take and to use. Now, we have bread and wine, which we harvest the wheat, or something that at one point before it was chopped up into indiscriminate parts and made so tiny and small that you can barely detect how much gluten is inside of the wafer when it is pressed into that little paper disc that lands on your tongue, bread, or the big old and loaves of bread that they use at the School of Theology at Swanee for their communion, and in other places. But Swanee's communion bread is still the best communion bread I've ever had. Don't at me over that. (laughs) We take that and we harvest it from the earth. And then there's also the grapes that are harvested and fermented and turned into wine. And those are offered up as a sacrifice. And those are no longer living sacrifices. But... As we talked about before, also during this moment, we're offering ourselves up as living sacrifices that are being brought to the altar. Hold on tight, folks. We're presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice that we're asking God to take and to transform and to turn into something else so that God can then put us to work in the world. I mean, it's... It's not insane to think of ourselves as a living sacrifice if we're willing to put ourselves into the hand of God and say, please
1: use me. And remembering that out of creation, God looked and saw what He, all that he had made and said, behold, it is very good. All things are holy that are of God, and we are returning them to God. Um, later on, I'll just hit hit it a little bit right here. But at the end of the um, Eucharistic prayer and all that, one of the things that can be offered or should be offered, uh, said, is uh, the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And these are holy gifts for a holy people. I I think it's... I think it's in her book, "The Preaching
0: Life," that Barbara Brown Taylor talks about um, talks about how we offer these things like bread and wine and oil up to God and ask God to use them. And these ordinary things that we ask God to bless and to make holy, yeah. we are part of those ordinary things. Yeah, and, and we we ourselves. too love the earth. Yeah, like anything else. Well. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Or if you prefer the right one language, remember that you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. (laughs) Um, Emphasis on the dust and not on the but for all of you you right oners out there. Emphasis is important. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Um, Do we want to talk about Matthew, or do we want to skip over that one, Father Joshua? Because it's just a little bit inconvenient.
1: Oh, we don't skip over inconvenience.
0: Let's not skip over inconvenience. Let's embrace inconvenience. <laughs> we,
1: let's make them squirm
0: just a little bit. It wouldn't be our podcast if we didn't make people just a little bit
1: uncomfortable. All right, I'll, I'll read it and then hand it over to you. This is Matthew five twenty three and 24. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift.
0: Insert dramatic pause here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Father Joshua, why do not we have the peace after the confession? Oh, that's social hour, right? That's when we make our plans for uh, brunch and, and the tea time and all that. Yes, indeed. Or,
0: or, it is, or it is the demonstration that we have been reconciled with our sisters and our brothers and our siblings and our loved ones, and are now ready as the in, as the reunified body of Christ who have been shriven of our sins and absolved of our wrongdoings, and that we together as one people are ready to approach the altar of God with our sacrifices.
1: It is not individualized. If you come to the altar, you're coming with everybody. We all come together.
0: We are many parts. We are all one body. It's this idea... yeah, it's it's this idea that that we are we are putting those things that we have done and those things that have been done against us behind us. And that we are ready to make a new start. We are ready to be that new creation that God is bringing forth in the world. And that includes being reconciled with the person who cut you off in the traffic circle when you were trying to pull into church. Or that good old, that no good so and so who got your pew. Or, ooh, ooh. I know, I know. Kicking, We're going to hear about that one. I'm kicking the sacred cow. I'm going for it. Or that person in the choir who just can't seem to get that part of the desk right. What is she doing up there anyway? Ooh, child. Need to take a step back and remember that even those petty things that you have against your sister and brother may be tiny little sins lurking in your life that are actually getting in the way of your relationship with your neighbor and your relationship with God. We're called to be salty, not moldy. All of those flavors, and Jesus chose salt. Purify mm. yourselves and purify the world through your example. But I didn't say all that. <laughs> and... To that our credit, credit is due our credit is due and to that end through Christ let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name let your yes be yes let your no be no and if you're going to be a christian
1: for god's sake act like a christian but don't don't just it doesn't stop there oh the there's top of the next more. <laughs> there's more there there's no, wait,
0: more there's more but do not so. but do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to god it's not just lip
1: service folks
0: well if we want to go back to one of our very first episodes on the daily office Which, by the way, is available on Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays through the St. Anne's website. Shameless plug. I'm not sorry. (laughs) In the general Thanksgiving, we talk about, and we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, not only, but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service, and by walking before you, Almighty God, in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here endeth the lesson. I mean, we talk about agreeing to do things, living our lives out by a certain set of things, We go away and we think we have to do it all on our own. We forget that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the living embodiment of Christ set loose on the world, and yet we still think we have to do it by ourselves. When we say we're doing something through Jesus Christ, we we don't mean that we're just doing it because we've decided to call ourselves Christian this morning. We believe that Christ dwells within us and is guiding us and empowering us to do the work, what? That we are given to do. It's almost like the writers of the prayer book, like stitched all these pieces together so that we can miss these obvious statements of how to live out our lives.
1: Yeah. And if you still don't get what we're supposed to do, go back and listen to the episode on uh, the baptismal vows. Oh,
0: oh, let's go back and listen to that one one more time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Then we come to the revelation of John of Patmos. Oh, Lord, our God you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will, they were created and have their being. In other words, uh, a phrase that is often said at mass, but is not in the book of common prayer. All things come of thee, O Lord and of thine own. Have we given thee?
0: Keep talking. I need to look something up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Never mind. That doesn't say what I thought it said. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic, offertory sentences.
1: <laughs> but, but, it, but they it, are offering and sentences. So that doesn't make sense. I was about to say,
0: and it's more than just one sentence. So, um, but no, we do, we do need to think about, um, well, I mean thinking about the way that all of this is offered up is, is important. Um, and placing that particular that particular statement inside of the revelation of John of Patmos and everything else that's going on around that is actually really really profound.
1: And uh, up to this point, everything is like an appeal or a direction. Uh, these last two scriptural references on page three seventy seven before we get to the bidding are hymns. Yeah. Right. There are are song and verse and response from songs, um, especially in Revelation and including this and from First Chronicles uh, 29 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and the majesty. Just in case you were confused for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over all.
0: And it is important to to read these offertory sentences and then to go back and to place them inside of their native context, so that you can see everything that's going on around these and why they are pulled out and selected as being appropriate offerings at this moment of offering. Um, because one of the things that sometimes the prayer book's not so good at is setting off things like poetry. I mean, you've got the psalter, which is all poetry. But this, this thing from Re- this sentence from Revelation and this sentence of First Chronicles, when you go back and look at it in a Bible, is set inside of that denotation inside of Scripture that says, this is poetry, or this is song, or this is some kind of um, some kind of version of praise that would probably have been said out loud um, and has been codified inside of scripture. The prayer book doesn't always do a good job of punctuating it that way
1: but yeah usually it's it's indented and and like you're writing verses of a of a song um you'll also see that a lot of times in many versions in um like Isaiah in the books of the prophets when there's something deeply prophetic that is we would say metaphorical but Isaiah is writing in poetry right and so it's going to be indented if Every it, it, you know, it, like uh, growing up, we had the the red letter Bibles. That the red letters were what Jesus said, and if it was in the red letter, that that's your that's what you're supposed to pay attention to. I don't have red letter Bibles anymore, but if you do come to a place where something is indented like that um, and set aside, focus in on it, pay attention to it.
0: But like you were saying, Father Joshua, these are just doxological statements. These are just literal. Yeah hymns of praise, which is an important part of offering sacrifice. It's an important part of offering offertories. Believe it or not, it's why your choirs sing anthems. Yeah, it is setting it is setting you up mentally and spiritually for the for the sacrifice that is about to be remembered. The sacrifice that that we are offering unto God. Um, it's setting that up for you, and so. Um, that's
1: something that's important to to remember, um, and I, I like the bidding. The last one that is offered, and we can go back again to what Marion Hatchett says about it. Um, but this is the only one that incorporates the priest. Let us, with gladness, present the offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the Lord.
0: And this kind of gets back into something that we didn't say explicitly in the last episode that we've recorded in August, is this idea of priest at the table. And, and it, this may help to make things a little clearer in, in why certain things happen at the table. You know, when a priest comes to celebrate the Eucharist and they're standing there and they're bidding you to lift up your hearts – as Father Joshua wipes his camera lens and throws me off a little bit, <laughs> suddenly I was in the midst of the cloud of unknowing. Um, as 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 that person, he, she, or they is is standing there, um, off beginning that Eucharistic prayer, they are standing there in a state that is known as in persona Christi the priest in that moment is standing there as Jesus who is offering the sacrifice, who is, who is being high priest in that moment. And it's this weird sort of headspace for me as clergy to occupy that in that moment, I am, I am both me and I am representing Christ at this table and I am both recipient and also in some ways host of everything that is happening in front of me.
1: Well, and, and, Really good point to make here, as we said in the last episode, um, that the priest is the first to receive, the first to eat the bread and drink the wine. That's that's what's in the prayer book. That's the rubric. Right. Because we are not, this is not our table. Mm. We are not um, the ones that are just putting the meal together and then feeding everybody. We are active participants. We are also invited to the table that God has set for us. Mm -hmm. and The meal that God has placed for us. And we come to, to be nourished and to quench our thirst and to be renewed and restored so that we too, with the rest of you, with everybody else, with the body of Christ, can go out and do the work that we have been given to do.
0: And so we're we're not just the ones performing the prayers, we are also the partakers of grace. Yes. And, and at that moment, I think it's probably safe to say that proximity-wise, we're the ones closest to the bread and the wine. Yeah. So there's some practicality considerations to be taken as well. I'm here, I've offered this prayer. I will receive, and then I'm going to begin to serve those around me. Uh, and then I sort of become like one of the disciples that hands out the bread and the fish during the feeding of the five thousand. Exactly. And doing what God has told me to do to let to go and to feed. Um, we have to be really careful there because sometimes people use the feeding of the 5,000 as an example for why we should practice open communion. I should point out that the feeding of the 5,000 was not explicitly a Eucharistic moment as much as people were hungry, Jesus had bread, and he fed them.
1: Um, also, Jesus is the one that blessed the food. Correct. Yeah.
0: So um, so just putting a little bit more context around what we're doing at the table and and a little more... A little more meat on the bones of what we said in the last podcast around around why what happens happens. Um, Father Joshua, I don't know how we got an hour out of offertory sentences,
1: but yet here we are as usual. Well, and I, was with, I was with the uh, Right Reverend Matthew Cowden, the new bishop of West Virginia, yesterday for lunch. And, and we were talking about the podcast. And I said, I don't really know what we're going to do. And he goes, oh, you should do the offertory sentences. And we looked at them and he goes, yeah, you can get a good hour out of that. So <laughs> thank you, Bishop Matthew.
0: Either the Right Reverend has listened to the podcast and knows us well, or he knew how much was actually in between the lines of these sentences. Yeah. Perhaps it was a bit of both. You'll have to talk to that bishop and find out. I can't really say.
1: So yeah, our, our every hope- page of this book there's there's more than appears on the surface. So as as we've done this podcast, the reason we're doing this podcast, dig in, take a bite and, you know, inwardly digest them. So are you saying the Book of Common Prayer as
0: transformer it's more than meets the eye?
1: Uh
0: And with that, folks, and with that, Father Joshua, the peace of the Lord
1: be always with you. And also with you.